Thank you, Jesse. Good morning again, everyone. Father, bless this word as we study your word together. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. The nation of Israel had been dedicated to the glory and the worship of Almighty God. In fact, that nation had been established in covenant with Almighty God through the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that covenant was renewed through Moses at Mount Sinai when he received the Ten Commandments and then when they built the tabernacle to worship Almighty God. The covenant was again renewed with Joshua after they had entered the land of promise and they had secured the the promised land. Joshua called all of Israel together and these were, this was the challenge that he gave to them. Let's read it together. Everyone out loud. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What a challenge that he gave to them. By the way, that that last phrase is a challenge that over 50 men in this church family have committed themselves to, and they have a plaque on the wall in their home that they have made that commitment and that covenant with Almighty God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? Amen? 500 years After this challenge had taken place with Joshua, the nation of Israel had divided north and south. The southern kingdom was called Judah. The two of the tribes made up that kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel. Ten of the twelve tribes made up that nation. A new king had risen to power. His father, Omri, had made a covenant with the Gentile nation of Tyre and Sidon. His son, Ahab, had become king after his father had passed away. Ahab was married to a Gentile wife. She was the daughter of the king of Tyre and Sidon. She was Phoenician. Now, the Phoenician culture was idolatry. They worshipped, their primary deity was Baal. Baal was the god of the storm, the god of nature. His, His symbol was a bull to indicate his fertility. He required human sacrifice. Jezebel brought that deity with her into the palace of Israel. In fact, she brought 450 prophets of Baal with her and fed them daily in the palace. But they not only had Baal as their god, they had another deity Astarte. And 
Jezebel, Ahab's wife, was the princess of Astarte. Her father, before he became king of Tyre and Sidon, had been a prince, or excuse me, a priest of Astarte. And Jezebel, the princess of Astarte, brought 400 of the, of the prophets of Astarte also with her and fed them at the palace. Astarte historically was also known as uh, Asherah in scripture. She's called Asherah, okay? Astarte, Asherah. She was the goddess of sex. She was the goddess of war. Her worship was very immoral, very sensuous, a level of sensuality that can't even be described in public. And that, along with the child sacrifice, was brought in to the Israeli culture, which brought a systematic, or a systemic, rather, contradiction. This moral incongruence. Israel had been founded in the worship of Almighty God. And the, the morals and the culture and, and the systems of the culture was based upon His holy word. And now introduced into that culture was Baal and Astarte. Baal requiring child sacrifice which diminished the value of human life. Astarte, which, which began to sexualize the culture. And now into this culture, the wedding covenant, the marriage covenant was being devalued. Morality was, being, was becoming relative. Violence and murder began to grow in the culture because Astarte was a very violent, murderous, cultic practice. This cultic worship of Astarte. But, the, but not only did that bring an incongruence into their culture, but Astarte had same-sex relationship in her worship. And that introduced same-sex relationship into this culture that had been very much based upon the Ten Commandments of God. And as same-sex relationship was acceptable in the temple worship, it began to move into the culture outside of the temple worship. And so now you had this incongruence growing in the culture. Child sacrifice Marriage covenant being broken down because it became a sexualized culture. Same-sex relationships growing in the culture. And the prophets of Israel for 500 years had preached against idolatry and the worship of Baal. And now they were being challenged because when you have that kind of systemic contradiction when you have a pluralistic society moving into what had been the worship of one God, Almighty God, the one true God, when you bring that kind of pluralism, pluralism always requires tolerance. 
tolerance, that, 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 that morality is relative. Morals are what you believe morals are for you, what you accept as moral standards. Tolerance, that there are many ways to God. There are many, well, we're all basically worshiping God. There are many ways to God. That kind of pluralism requires tolerance. But tolerance, by its very nature, requires the removal of absolute truth. And those who preach absolute truth cannot be tolerated. They have to be removed. And so Jezebel began killing the prophets of Almighty God because God had said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Almighty God was the one and only true God. And his word was absolute truth. His morals were absolute moral values. And because that could not abide, they could not abide with tolerance. They could not sustain tolerance. Jezebel had to remove them, and she began killing the prophets of God. And so it was into this sexualized culture, culture of child sacrifice, culture of tolerance and moral degradation and same-sex relationships. It was into this culture God called one of his greatest prophets. His name was Elijah. And he appears suddenly. It's just like all of a sudden, here is Elijah the Tishbite. I mean, we all know what a Tishbite is, right? Into that scene, he comes. And as he steps into the scene, he confronts King Ahab. Look at what he says. These were his first words. These are the first words recorded by Elisha as he confronts the king. As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these years except by my word. And for the next three and a half years, there is no rain. There is no dew. Wow. This is the man of God. He's talked about in the New Testament when James talks about prayer and the power of prayer. He uses Elisha as the example. He prayed and it did not rain for three and a half years. He prayed again and the rain came. Wow, that's the kind of man of God you want on the scene, right? That kind of man of God that knows how to pray. After three and a half years, he confronts Ahab again. By the way, during those three and a half years, King Ahab and Jezebel kept trying to find Elijah. They couldn't find him. Every time they thought they had him, God would hide him. That's kind of cool. God would hide him, protect him. Finally, Ahab and Elijah encounter one another again. And, and here, was, here was Ahab's, excuse me, this was Ahab's word. As soon as they meet, Ahab says, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? 
You're the one that's causing all these problems for us. I'm sorry, I got to say this. I I, I can't help it. I can't hold it back. Just kind of like our culture is saying to all the Christians, are you the ones that's causing all this trouble? Here was the prophet's answer. I've not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. I'm not the one causing the trouble. I'm the proclaimer of truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But you see, pluralism can't handle that. Pluralism cannot handle an absolute truth. And so pluralism always takes a culture into bondage. Now you hear me. Pluralism always takes a culture into bondage. Because pluralism has its origin in hell. It is spawned in the heart of Lucifer. It is his tool to silence truth. Pluralism is Satan's tool to silence truth because pluralism demands tolerance. It demands that we accept first. Well, we just have, there, there are many ways. We have to accept, there, you know what, there, there are, there, well, you know, there are, there are many moral standards. And, and, you know, you can't legislate morality There is a Greek word for that, balanos. I bet you can't translate that into English, can you? What do you mean you can't legislate? All legislation is morality. The question is, whose morality? A pluralistic morality that is relative and anything goes, whatever is is good to you, whatever is moral to you, or or are we going to talk about true morality that comes from the one true living God who is altogether righteous, altogether holy, altogether true? His morality that brings light. Pluralism always brings darkness. Darkness. And it cannot abide absolute truth because truth brings light and the world loves darkness because its deeds are dark, but it hates light. And so it has to remove the messengers of truth because the messengers of truth bring light and shine light. And the light was shining on Jezebel's darkness and she couldn't stand it. So she had to kill the prophets. And right into the midst of that, God brings Elijah. And after this encounter with Ahab, he says, to, he says to him, I want you to gather all the prophets of Baal, all the prophets of Astarte. I want you to gather all of Israel, and you and all of them meet me at Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel, if you were looking at a map, if this was a map of Israel right here, and here right in the middle is Jerusalem, And over here is the Mediterranean coast. And right up here in that northwest corner on the Mediterranean coast is this precipice called Mount Carmel. It overlooks the city, the port city we know today as Haifa. 
And that precipice, Mount Carmel, is where he called all the prophets of Baal. And what is, what is funny is over here on the eastern, you, you've got a mountain range right here, and that's where Samaria, the palace, was at, 26 miles. And so they had to come 26 miles to that. They gathered there. And as all of, as all of Israel, all of the ten tribes, the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Astarte gathered, King Ahab was there. Doesn't tell us if Jezebel was there. If she was, she was grinding her teeth. And the prophet Elijah looks at them and says, I want to ask you a question. How long are you going to falter between two opinions? If the Lord be God, serve him. If Baal be God, then serve him. Silence. 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 Kind of like in the church in America today. Silence. So Elijah says, tell you what, here's how, here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to have your prophets of Baal offer their sacrifice to their God. I'll offer my sacrifice to my God. No one put fire on the sacrifice. The God who answers by fire and lights the sacrifice and consumes their sacrifice, let him be the true and the living God. And all the people went, good call. Good call. I like that. My translation, okay? Good call. Good call. All right. And so he turns to the prophets of Baal and Astarte and said, you go first. You go first. So they built their altar to their god, Baal. And as they built their altar to their god, Baal, they began doing their chants and all of their stuff that they offered to their god, Baal. And by noontime, nothing had happened. And so Elijah stepped forward and says, wow, uh, maybe he's, he's probably taking a nap. <laughs> maybe, maybe you need to sing louder. Or maybe, maybe he's... On a journey. I like this one best. And this is, the, this is what it says in the Hebrew. Maybe he's on the toilet. <laughs> Sing louder. And so they did. They raised the volume. They began to cut themselves. See, that, that's one of the things that grieves me today, deeper than I can tell you, is the amount of young women and young men today that are so tortured by the level of darkness in our culture that they're cutting themselves. The beautiful thing is, is when they meet the true and the living God, they not only get their cuts healed, they get their heart healed.
They cry out louder. They cut them clear till late in the afternoon. No answer. No answer. So Elijah then says, stop it. Stop it. Stop. Come look over here. And Elijah gets 12 large stones. And the scripture says he rebuilds the altar to the living God. And he puts the wood on it. And he puts the sacrifice on it. And then he says, bring three barrels of water. Now, what was most precious at that time in Israel? Water. Three and a half years, no rain or dew. They bring three barrels of water. He pours those three barrels of water on it. He had dug a trench around the altar, and he says, go bring three more barrels. They bring three more barrels. They pour that on there. By now, the sacrifice, the wood, it's, it's getting soaked, right? He says, bring three more. A third time, they bring three barrels of water, and they soak it. It says, until the trench is filled, the whole altar, the sacrifice, the wood is drenched, and the, and the trench is full of this water. And Elijah humbles himself before God and prays a simple prayer of 65 words. And fire came out of heaven. It licked up the water in the trench. It ignited the wood on fire and consumed the sacrifice. And the people began to cry out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. A pagan culture needs an altar of God that's been set on fire with the fire of heaven. In 1962, the American culture And you've heard me. I've showed it to you many times. America was founded as a Christian nation. Not a religious nation. A Christian nation. We were literally established in covenant with Almighty God. Only the second nation in all of human history to ever be founded in covenant with Almighty God. If you have a question about that, I challenge you to go back and read the Mayflower Compact, which William Bradford and those on the Mayflower wrote and signed before they ever left the ship and stepped onto the shores of America. They founded this nation in covenant with Almighty God. And they said specifically this, for the glory of Almighty God and the advancement of the Christian faith. That's a direct quote. This was founded as a Christian nation. But in 1962, we began removing Almighty God. The first step was to remove prayer and Bible reading out of the schools. It's not a coincidence that 11 years later, we made it legal 
to sacrifice our babies to the worship of the God of sex. When we legalized abortion. It's not a coincidence that we have just systematically removed God from our courts, from our universities, from our courthouses. We want God out. And as we moved God out, we welcomed pagan gods. Look at some of the gods that we have in our cities around this nation. This, this was in New York City a few years ago. This is a pagan Hindu deity, the goddess of destruction. This is the Empire State Building in New York City with that same image. Just a couple of years ago, next slide for me, they erected... This is an arch of the temple to Baal that is set up right behind it here. This, that's City Hall, New York City. Go ahead and go to the next slide for me. This is the goddess Athena. And there's a pantheon with this massive goddess in it on a hill in Nashville, Tennessee. This is another Hindu deity in Washington, D.C. We removed God, and we don't want the Ten Commandments anywhere. We don't want God anywhere in the public arena. But we now have cities in the United States of America that has Sharia law as well as our United States Constitution. Dearborn, Michigan is one of them where we are beginning to embrace Islam and the God Allah. Are you kidding me? And I've had people say, well, well, Christians and Muslims, we worship the same God. Oh, no, we do not. The Muslim religion, while they acknowledge that Jesus Christ was a man and he lived, they do not acknowledge that he was deity. They do not acknowledge that he was crucified. They do not acknowledge that he rose from the dead. They do not acknowledge that Esau, the son of Abraham and Jacob, that they are the rightful heirs to God's word that gave us the Old Testament, but rather it's through Ishmael. Folks, no, 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 they, we are not the same, not even close. If we were the same, would you explain to me why in the Quran it says that they are to murder Christians and Jews who will not convert to Islam? If we're the same, we're not the same. But we, in America, we have, we have become pluralistic. And in our pluralism, now, what's the mantra? Tolerance. We've got to understand. We've got to accept. But now it's no longer accept. It is you embrace or you're an enemy. You see, have you begun noticing that we have moved away from from, well, please accept us to you embrace us or you are evil and we will silence you. 
That's where we're moving. And the reason is because that's where pluralism always has to go. Because once you begin teaching that Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is only one way, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the only true Savior. It says in the book of Acts, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, the only way to heaven, and his Father is the only true Almighty God. Only one. Only one. But as we have moved pagan, we now have to remove the messengers of truth. What do we do? What do we do in this situation? This connects directly with what we have been talking about since January. Learning to live from the inside out. And as we, as we spent those times learning to live from the inside out, now we've got to learn how to live through the dynamic of Holy Spirit that lives within us. We've got to learn how to live spirit-filled. Amen? Yes. We've got to learn how to live spirit-filled. Live a spirit-filled life. Because everything in our culture is going to pressure you to go the other direction, to live by your feelings, to live by your emotions. Folks, listen, let me, let, let me show you how far this goes. Pluralism requires tolerance. And so now they want us to believe that it is true that someone can be biologically male, but because of the way they feel inside, they're really female. Can, can you see the systemic contradiction there? Can you see the incongruence? But they want us to begin teaching that as a, as a truth, as an absolute truth. You can't have it both ways. Folks, there's, there is a truth. You can't have it as a truth that... that that you, no, 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 you're not supposed to take human life, but unless, of course, it is human life in the womb, and then you can take that life clear up till the day of birth, and it's not murder. Because after all, that's not human life. It has a heartbeat, it breathes, everything about it is human life. But because it's still in the womb, it's not murder. Can you see the incongruence there? And can anyone see the parallel between Baal and Astarte and our American culture right now? Can you see the parallel? Can you see it? Okay. Now, watch. So it takes then exactly the same thing 
If we're going to see America turn, it takes the same thing. There's got to be some men and women of God who will become messengers of truth that will say, it doesn't matter what the culture says, I know the truth. I know God's word, and I know what God's word says, and I'm going to live by God's word. I'm going to teach God's word. I'm going to preach God's word. No matter what culture says, I'm going to teach and preach the word of the living God. But more than that, listen closely. We've got to rebuild the altar of Almighty God. The first step in doing that is you've got to challenge your own heart. Elijah didn't start with rebuilding the altar of God. He started with challenging the hearts of those that had turned away from God. You've got to choose. You can't keep walking the fence. You got to choose. If the Lord be God, serve him. If Baal be God, serve him. So let's put it to the test. And he did. And each and every one of us, I want to tell you from today on, from this day, right now, 2020, June 14th, 2020, you are going to be held accountable to Almighty God. Who will you serve? You can't keep straddling the fence. And you're going to have to challenge your own heart. Where do you have idols of this world in your heart? Where have you allowed them to be? Where have you allowed Baal and Astarte in your own heart? And you're going to need to acknowledge that and there's going to have to come a point where you take that altar down so you can rebuild the altar of Almighty God. And Jesus gave us the model in Matthew chapter, six, uh, chapter 13. And rather than quoting this to you, I'd like to read it to you. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 18. And I'm going to read down to verse 23. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. Now, this is Jesus speaking. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away that what was sown in his heart, this is he who received seed by the wayside. How many times has God sown seed in your heart and you've let the enemy steal it away? Because your heart is kind of hard. There's a hard place in your heart. Maybe you've gone through a divorce. Broken relationship. Maybe, maybe someone very close to you has wounded you, hurt you. And you got a wounded, you got, you got a wounded heart. And, and to protect your wounded heart, you've hardened your heart a little bit. And Almighty God wants to sow the seed of his word in there. But because your heart is hard, the enemy comes and steals that seed. So it, do, it doesn't take any kind of root. It just lays there and the enemy comes and steals it. Here's the second thing it goes on to say. 
But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word of God and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. And so you've, you've, at times you've received the word, you go, that's such a good word. Oh, and your heart is filled with joy, and you've really been touched on Sunday, and the Holy Spirit's moved on your heart, and you felt so good. But then a few days later, maybe, maybe a few weeks later, it's gone, and you go, I don't know where it went, but it's just gone. It just it, it didn't take root. The reason it didn't take root is because there are too many stony places in your heart. You've got too many stones building an altar to idols of the world in your heart. You won't accept God's standard of morality. And that's built stony places in your heart. And, and it's, not, it's not that you don't want to hear the word of God. It's that when you receive it, it can't get root because that's down inside there. You got to get those stones out. You got to take those stones out so that the root can go deep. This is the next thing he said. I closed it. Sorry. Give me a second. Now, he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Cares of the world. Mom, I, I, I can't imagine what it's like being a single mom. And yet I, my mom was one. She raised my two sisters and I. And then when I was 12, she had my little brother. And by that time I went to live with my dad and, my, and she raised my little brother as a single mom. Because her second husband didn't come home well from Vietnam. It damaged him greatly. And it broke up their marriage. Being a single mom is the most challenging thing on this earth. And it can consume you. You got to work. You got to take care of the house. You got to take care of the kids. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But there's got to be space in your heart where you don't let the cares of this world choke out the word of God. There's got to be space in your heart. You don't let the cares of this world choke out your heart. Can I, can, I talk, can I talk to the men for just a moment? Sir, the more toys you have, the more difficult it is to serve the Lord. Because every one of those toys demands time and attention. I didn't say it was a sin to have toys. I just said you got to realize the more toys you have, the more it takes your attention away from God because it all requires them. It all requires time and attention. Don't let the cares of this world get so great it's choking out the word of God. So here's where we are. We're making the choice. I am no longer going to be divided 
I'm not going to have a duplicity of heart. This is what James said. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, uh, driven by the wind and tossed. Let not that man think he should receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Double-minded, double-souled, duplicity of heart. I've got my foot in the world. I've got my foot in Christianity. And well, you know, yeah, I love Jesus. Well, but uh, well, yeah, but oh, yeah, you're just 50-50. Maybe you're a little bit more. Maybe you're 75-25. Almighty God doesn't want a part-time disciple. He wants a full-time disciple, 100% committed to him. If the Lord be God, serve him. And to do that, I got to break up the hard ground. I got to get the stones out of my heart. I got to get the weeds out of my heart. So I've got a heart that the word of God can go in and go deep so I can grow and mature as a child of the living God. Amen? Oh, once I've done that, then I got to rebuild the altar of God in my life. I got I to build an altar to Almighty God. And once I've built that altar to Almighty God, and by the way, you don't build your own kind of altar. You build the altar the way God said you build the altar. I've heard people say, well, I worship God in my own way. How's that working? Probably not very good because Almighty God has specifically in his word told us how we worship him. He is very choosy. And so you build that altar according to God's design, and then you put the right sacrifice on it. What is the acceptable sacrifice? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 tells us, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. The only acceptable sacrifice to God is ourself. We put ourselves on the altar. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 16. He said, if any man would be my disciple, let him take up his cross and come follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever would lose his life for my sake will find it. Luke said it this way when he recorded. He said, let him take up his cross daily. And so here's how it works. So, Jesus, I, I, I acknowledge you're God, and I'm going to serve you 100%. And so, I, Lord, help me get all these stones out. Help me get these weeds out. Lord, just, just. And so I humble myself to you. I authentically humble myself to you, and I admit to you, I'm exactly what you say I am. I'm lukewarm. I'm only 50% committed. I'm only 75% committed. You're right, Lord. You're right. That's, that's, but I want to be 100% for you. And so I put myself on the altar. And putting myself on the altar, I say, will you consume me with the fire of the Holy Spirit? And you stay there until he does. And I want to tell you, a two-minute prayer won't do it. Five-minute prayer won't do it. 
It's amazing to me how the church has forgotten how to pray. And we, we, we call people to the altar to pray, and they're there about two minutes, and they're gone. They've forgotten how to wait in his presence until the fire falls. I want to remind you, the disciples, 10 days waiting on God. We wait on the Lord until the fire falls in our heart. And well, well why, why does he take so long? Because he's waiting for you to just really, really surrender. He's waiting for your will to melt. He's waiting for you to get focused on him. He's, he's waiting on you. And, and as you become more and more focused on him, more and more the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the fire of his spirit will, will consume you and consume your being and, and turn your heart on fire for Almighty God. The more you're on fire for God, the less you'll love the world and the things of the world. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender. I'm going to ask you to take time to do that today. Here's how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to wrap up this message. I'm going to ask you in just a few moments to come by the side aisle. I'm going to have Pastor Reagan standing over here, Pastor Jesse standing over here. They're going to have communion. We have the bread in a cup. We have the juice in a cup. Just pick up. They're, they're, they're together. Just pick up both cups. I ask you to fill this altar, go back to your chair. If you possibly can, I'm going to ask you to kneel. And would you spend a season talking to God about surrender?